Lakewood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We have a special guest speaker who's Dr. Jean Getz. And Dr. Getz has taught at Moody Bible um, Institute or is it now Moody Bible University, I think. He's taught at Dallas Theological Seminary. In fact, when I was at Dallas Seminary, uh, Dr. Getz was one of the instructors there at DTS. Maybe you have heard about fellowship Bible churches, but Dr. Getz was the one who launched the very first fellowship Bible church in Dallas, Texas, and I think there's a dozen of them today and more than a hundred fellowship Bible churches around the country. So he was on the ground floor of all of that. He is a, a very prolific author. You may have heard of his name before. He has written some 60 books. And recently he has been working on the Life Essential Study Bible. And you're going to hear a little bit more about this this morning. And I'm excited to have him here because he did have a, an influence in my life. He shaped some of my perspective and... He's always had a great emphasis on applying Scripture. And those of you who've been around Wildwood know that that's one of the things that I like to emphasize also. So let's please welcome Dr. Gene Getz. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Bruce. Great to be here. Uh, all this morning, and uh, great to see all of you here today. I'd like to uh, talk about the Word of God and the will of God. I think we need to see those two concepts together, the Word of God and the will of God. And as I was reflecting on this message and preparing this message, my mind went back to an event that happened hundreds of years ago in terms of our time schedule has to do with a man by the name of William Tyndale. <clears throat> Grew up in England in the 1500s. And in those days, we didn't have the Bible in English. Have you ever stopped to think, just stopped to think, what an incredible privilege it is for us to have the Bible in our own language in English? Do you know what that cost, William Tyndale? That we could sit here today and have our Bible in English? Well, he began to translate it. The religious leaders weren't very happy with him because they knew that if people read the Bible in English, they would see the difference between what they were doing in leading the church and what the Bible really teaches on how to live for Jesus Christ. And so he was persecuted. In fact, he had to leave England, went to Germany, Switzerland, over a long period of time, worked tediously to translate the Bible into English. And then a friend, so-called, said, William, you can come back to England. That would be great. And so he came back. When he came back, he was arrested and burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. William Tyndale paid the ultimate price that we can sit here today and have a copy of the Bible in our own language. I remember I was, uh, when I taught at Moody Bible Institute, I was, 
I take a train from Chicago to Wheaton, Illinois, where we live, and a guy was sitting next to me. And as I was sitting there, I knew who he was because we were fellow employees and he was involved in Moody Press. His name was Ken Taylor, and I said, Ken, what are you doing? And Ken had a uh, yellow pad and he had a Bible, and he was reading the Bible and he was making notes. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm paraphrasing Paul's letters. And this evening when I get home, I will read to my family what I've paraphrased. Well, little did I realize that that effort on his part would result in what is, was called then the living letters, and then eventually the living Bible, which was translated by Ken Taylor in a paraphrase fashion. But God has used that incredibly all over the world. And today as we sit here, it's hard to imagine the incredible uh, privilege that we have. For example, uh, what I could do right here is I could take my iPhone and go to a particular app and I could download right here this morning over 300 translations of the Bible in 150 different languages, which would take this room to fill it. And that's what we have available today, and especially in our own language. The Word of God and the will of God. You see, God wants us to know His will. And that's why He began the process many, many years ago by revealing the Word of God. I want to give you a principle to live by, first of all, that I'd like to develop this morning, and this is the principle. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Scripture. Would you read that with me? Just to focus a little more, read it with me. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Scripture. God wants us to know His will. And that's why he's given us the Holy Scriptures. But you see this story unfolding right from the time when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were at Mount Sinai. And what happened? God spoke the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. And a lot of people don't realize, unless you read carefully, that before he engraved those commandments in stone, he spoke them. I sometimes wonder what God's voice sounded like, what the particular language, a form of Hebrew, obviously, uh, when God spoke, thou shalt not write from Mount Sinai, and they heard it in their own language. And then God also wrote it. He inscribed it with his finger on stones and gave it to Moses. God spoke, God wrote. And that was the beginning of the revelation of God that we have here in our Bibles today. But God didn't just stop with the Ten Commandments. Through Moses, he's given us the Pentateuch, all five books of the Old Testament, the first five books. But God continued to speak, not just through Moses, but through the Old Testament prophets. And I want you to understand, when God wanted us to get the message, you know what he did? He didn't choose one prophet. He already chose Moses 
who gave us five books, but he chose 17 others. And that are, are the major and the minor prophets. You count them, 17 of them. All with one basic coherent message that God wants us to hear. Isn't it amazing that today over a billion people follow one prophet, just one prophet, and are taught to believe that that is from God? See, God didn't work that way. God knows that one prophet can distort. And that's exactly what has happened throughout history. Most of your major cults that have come into existence within Christianity started with one prophet who said he got a message from God. God didn't work that way. God wants us to know his will, and he wants us to know he is speaking, and that's why he has chosen all of these prophets to give us the basic message that makes up the Old Testament. But God has also given us the New Testament. God spoke through the apostles in the New Testament era. He chose 12 of them, not one. He chose 12, lost one. But those 11 men, many of them have, some of them have given us very significant sections of the scripture because you see, God inspired the authors of scripture to record his messages in writing. And here we have it today. The question I want to ask you is I ask myself, to what extent do you appreciate this? What it really means to have it available to us today. I want to take you back 2,000 years. I want to take you to the upper room. Jesus has been ministering almost three years. He's there in that upper room with 12 men, the apostles. Judas eventually left. But they were really disturbed because Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And they said, well, where are you going? And that didn't fit their plan. Because they were looking forward to Jesus establishing the kingdom and it has had been promised to Israel. And Jesus said, I, I'm going to go away. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm going to come back to receive you under myself. In the meantime, he said, I'm going to send you another teacher or another counselor. And right there in that chapter, John 14, he says this, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor. The other Greek word for counselor is parakletos. It could be translated another teacher or another encourager or in some cases another comforter. Although here, Counselor is, is a good translation. I will pray. I'll ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is, now notice, the spirit of truth. Three times here in this unit of scripture, Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, as the spirit of truth. And that's very significant in terms of what we have in our hands today. The spirit of truth. Later on in that same chapter, verse 25, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. 
He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus had ministered to these men for nearly three years. They heard him teach. He taught them. He taught the crowds. But much of what they heard, they distorted. They didn't understand. And a lot of it they forgot. It went in here and right out the other, even though it heard it many times. And so Jesus said, when this Holy Spirit, this Spirit of truth comes, he's going to teach you all things. Because he said, Jesus said, or another place, there's a lot I want to teach you. You can't bear it now. But he'll teach you all things, and he'll remind you of everything I've taught. He'll bring back to your remembrance things that I said on the Mount of Beatitudes that you don't remember. He will bring it to your remembrance. Maybe he looked right at Matthew when he said that. Because Matthew recorded, remember, the Beatitudes. And so Jesus is reassuring them. And then going on into chapter 16, uh, 15, still there in the upper room, Jesus said, when the spirit or the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth, he wants them to know that, Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He will tell you things about me that I've tried to tell you, you didn't get it. And by the way, John is sitting there next to Jesus, or was in that room with him, Apostle John. Little did he realize that eventually the Holy Spirit was going to enable him to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He had no clue at this moment. But Jesus said, He will testify about me, who I really am. And then Jesus continued, if you go on in chapter 16, nevertheless I am telling you the truth it is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the paracletos, the counselor, will not come to you and if I go, I will send him to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. He's going to come. And then Jesus made the point even further in verse 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, there's a third time. See, he's identified the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will also declare to you what is to come. And at that moment, Jesus may have just looked at John again and in his mind, Jesus is saying, you don't have a clue what's going to happen, John. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to declare to you what is to come. And 60 years from now, you're going to be sitting in a cave on the island of Patmos, and you're going to record the book of Revelation, which is what is to come. And so Jesus is laying the groundwork for what we have in our New Testaments. Let me fast forward you just a little bit further. Jerusalem. Jesus has just ascended following his death and his resurrection. 
The apostles have gone back to an upper room in Jerusalem, as Jesus told them to, to wait. There are about 120 gathered with them. They're praying. And all of a sudden, there's this mighty rushing wind that fills Jerusalem. And somehow that wind must have focused. Don't know how that happened, the dynamics. be interesting to talk with a meteorologist about the dynamics of how that could have happened. That mighty rushing wind made a loud noise, but it also somehow focused over where the disciples were in that upper room, and everybody came running. They, they could hear the sound of the wind and where it was going, and lo and behold, when they got there, there were these 11 men, all Galileans, with tongues of fire on their head, and further, they were speaking the word of God, so all these people that had come from all over the Roman Empire for this special feast, a 50-day feast, they could all hear the word of God in their own language through these 11 men. If you want to know the languages they were speaking, you go to first chapter of Acts, it's all there. From the African countries, Mesopotamian region, the islands of the sea from Rome, probably speaking perfect Latin so they could hear it. Incredible. What is this? What's going on? Peter stood up. And he began to tell the crowds. He said, let me tell you what Joel said. And he quoted the Old Testament prophet of Joel. And in essence, he's saying this is the beginning of what, what Joel prophesied. And then he said to a question, what must we do? He said, well, repent and be baptized. And he's speaking to a group of Jews there. Be baptized in order to demonstrate that you have a faith in the Messiah. He is the Messiah. We crucified the Messiah who was prophesied by Joel and all the other prophets. And it says 3,000 put their faith in Jesus Christ that day. What happened? Well, notice in Acts 2.42, they, these 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what in the world is the apostles' teaching? Well, remember, Peter couldn't say, turn to the book of Acts. It's happening. Luke hasn't recorded it yet. Peter couldn't say, take the gospel of Matthew. Or take the gospel of John where Jesus talked about this in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16. It hadn't been written yet. This is all happening. You see, the apostles' teaching is coming now directly from the Holy Spirit where Jesus brings to their remembrance everything that he has said. He testifies to who Jesus is. And eventually, God used these men, including the apostle Paul, who isn't a believer yet, to record for us the 39 books of the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, 39 in the Old. And today, we have in our hands the apostles' teaching. Not only Old Testament prophets, but the apostles' teaching, plus some others that God chose to give us this incredible book, the New Testament. You know, the Apostle Paul was in prison, great missionary, fast-forwarding again to the end of his life. 
Second imprisonment, in bonds, chains. He's going to die and he knows it. And so he writes a letter to Timothy, who had been his missionary partner. Second Timothy, last letter Paul ever wrote. And this is what he said. Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you know that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. And it's interesting, we know who taught Timothy. Because at the beginning of the letter, <coughs> excuse me, he pays tribute to whom? His mom. Remember her name? Eunice. And he makes reference to his grandma. Her name was Lois. So Paul is saying, look, you learned the word, the scriptures from your mom and your grandma. We know it wasn't his dad, because according to Acts 16, his dad was a pagan. By the way, that shows a tremendous influence of a mother and a grandmother in the young boy's life. But notice he says, you know those who taught you, you know that from childhood you've known the sacred scriptures. What is he referring to? They had no New Testament, it's the Old Testament. See, Eunice was married to a pagan, but she had access to the Old Testament through the temple. She couldn't carry it around. They couldn't carry these big, these big portions of Scripture, scrolls. They couldn't carry those around. But she'd been taught in the synagogue there in Lystra, his hometown. And I believe that what he's referring to here when he says the sacred scriptures which made you able to give you, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, what he is referring to is when he, Paul, and Barnabas first came to Lystra on the first missionary journey. Paul was stoned in that city. It was Lystra. He was taken out of the city and left for dead. And it says there were a group of disciples that circled around Paul while he was lying there, bruised and bloody. And all of a sudden, he got up and walked back into the city and went to the next town. A miracle took place. And you know who was standing in that circle? I believe young Timothy. And his mom and probably his grandma. And that's when they really put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were disciples. And so he's saying, I want you to continue in what you learned, which brought you to Christ. But he goes on and says, all Scripture. And I believe there he's being prophetic, even beyond his own knowledge of what he's saying. All Scripture. I'm not sure that Timothy or Paul even knew that 2 Timothy, this letter was going to be recorded, and we'd have it here today in this church as part of the scriptures. But nevertheless, we know that Paul's letters were inspired by God. And what he says is all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God, and certainly though he's speaking to Timothy, it certainly applies, men and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, meaning we know what the will of God is for our lives. There's something very significant here. If you go back to um, <clears throat> Acts 2.42, where it says these 3,000 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is now beginning to come into written form. But it says they devoted them to the fellowship, the koinonia. 
And you know why that's so significant? Because God never intended us to learn the word of God all by ourselves. In fact, you realize that being able to study the Bible as you study it today is a 19th, 20th century phenomenon. They couldn't even do it back when the, when the printing press came into existence. They couldn't carry Bibles around. They were huge. They were expensive. But they learned in community. As those who studied did have access, taught them. And so here we have still an emphasis on community. Even though we have it like this, God wants us to learn in community. And so he says, let us be concerned about one another. Love that word. The Greek, alalan, it's used over 60 times to refer to the relationships we should have with one another. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good deeds, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. Now get this, because it's very significant. But encourage each other. You know where that word encourage comes from? basic word to encourage in the Greek text is parakaleo. And there's a noun that you learned about earlier. It's the parakletos. The parakletos was given parakaleo to encourage. And so here, the author of Hebrews uses the very same word that was used to describe the Holy Spirit to describe what we should do for one another. We are the instruments of the Holy Spirit to help other people to understand the truth. Isn't that incredible? That connection with the Holy Spirit is very, very important because he dwells within each one of us who've come to Christ. We're to encourage one another with the word of God. I love what Jesus prayed for on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross, he prayed for the apostles and us, by the way, in that prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And I needn't tell you that we're living in a postmodern culture. And the basic philosophy of our postmodern culture is there's no such thing as absolute truth. Oh, yes, I'll acknowledge your truth. But your truth is not necessarily my truth. And my truth is not necessarily your truth. We all have a right to our own truth. That's not absolute truth. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches absolute truth. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That's absolute truth. And today in our culture, we twist that. We relativize it. The Bible says, and Jesus said, my word is truth. And then it's our means for defeating Satan. You know, when uh, Jesus was tempted by Satan, wilderness, you know what Satan did? He quoted the Old Testament, but he distorted it. Just like he did when he tempted Eve. He quoted the Old God's word, but he distorted it. And so here comes Satan Distorting the word of God and tempting Jesus. You know what Jesus did? Satan, it is written. And he quoted the accuracy of the Old Testament. 
Satan came at him another angle. Satan, it is written. Satan came at him again, distorting scripture. Jesus said, it is written. And Satan left him. And so today we have at our disposal the word of God, not just the Old Testament that Jesus quoted, we have the New Testament. And Paul says, when he wrote to the Ephesians, take the helmet of salvation and the sword, the sword, get that metaphor, the sword of the spirit, which is what? God's word. So think about this principle to live by. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Scripture. In essence, that principle to live by summarizes what I've tried to share with you today. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit, the great encourager, the paracletos, and recorded by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, using their talent and ability, and yet giving us the Word of God. About eight years ago, I got a telephone call from Nashville. <coughs> Representatives from... Uh, Holman Christian, uh, the uh, Broadman and Holman, largest Bible publisher in the world. And they said, Gene, uh, you know we've just completed a brand new translation, and I knew they did. It was called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And what they, they wanted to do, they'd been working on it about 10 years. Now, this is eight years ago when they called me, but they'd been working for about 10 years, and I knew the editor of that was uh, Dr. Ed Bloom, and I don't know if Ed was there when you were there, but great uh, scholar, biblical scholar. And he headed up the, the translation team, about 100 uh, translators that worked on the Old New Testament. They came up with a brand new translation called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And their goal in that translation was to have the friendliness of the NIV, which is a concept translation. Uh, good translation from the standpoint of being a concept translation. I've used it for years. But then they wanted the literalness of the King James. They wanted the literalness uh, that was guided the, those who translated the Bible way back there in 1600s, where they looked at the exact words of Scripture in Hebrew and Greek and tried to come up with an English equivalent, which is very hard to do, by the way. But they wanted to do as much as they could to make sure they had a Bible that represented, yes, it's friendly, but it's literal. And they leaned towards the literal. So they said, Gene, would you be willing to do a principles to live by study Bible using our new translation from Genesis to Revelation? And they knew uh, my approach in, in Scripture and teaching because they had published 12 of my books on the Old Testament characters. And every chapter I ended with principles to live by. It grew out of the text. And they said, why don't you do this with the whole Bible? Would you consider? Well, it came at a right moment in my life because I was preparing to pass my baton of leadership to my successor at Fellowship Bible Church North, one of the churches I founded. And I said, I'll do it. And they said, Gene, probably you can do this in about two years because you've written a lot and you've taught a lot and you've got a lot in print. 
So maybe you can do it in two years. And I thought, maybe I can. Hello. Seven years later, after four days a week of study and research, for those seven years, my wife says it was five days a week, I ended up with 1,500 principles to live by from Genesis to Revelation, over 500,000 words of copy. Now, 500,000 words sounds like a lot, and it is. But your plain vanilla Bible, you don't have any notes in it, that's about uh, 750,000 words. So what I wrote was 500,000 that could be, I didn't want it to be so big you, could, you didn't need a truck to carry it. I wanted this to be inserted in the scriptures in a unique way. And so seven years after I began the project, we completed it. And uh, it was an exciting process. And I know, uh, Bruce, you had some questions you wanted to ask me about this because it is indeed uh, unique in several respects. You say, boy, we've got so many study Bibles. Yeah, I, I was going to say that um, probably the majority of us all have a study Bible at home. And now you've spent seven years working on another one. So what, what really makes this one so unique? Well, most study Bibles, you know, will have footnotes at the bottom of the page, which is great. I used a lot of those in doing, doing my Bible, this one. And they'll have uh, sidebar applicational points and so forth. But sometimes it's hard to connect the, the application to the text. So I wanted a Bible like a built-in curriculum where the principle would be directly in juxtaposition right to the passage, such as what you have here on the screen. Now, you'll notice the principle here. I purposely chose this because this is the principle I talked about. It comes from 2 Peter. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in the Scripture. And if you go back into the text, and by the way, the text, what's back in front of that is highlighted. <clears throat> like large passages be highlighted in blue so you get the big idea and you can see how the principles connected to the text. And so here, for example, you'll see that uh, in verse uh, 20, if you go back up into the passage, first of all, you should know that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by, what did Jesus call him? The parakletos. Holy Spirit. So there's the principle. So there are 1,500 of these principles. Right, right there where the, the verses are It's laid about. right in, and then there, the commentary follows that. And there are 1,500 of those insets that make up the 500,000 words. Gotcha. And then you, you also mentioned that this is the first multimedia study Bible, and it I is. know that has something to do with the QR code. A little QR code that's in the right-hand part let of me, the screen there. Yeah, and let me just say, this, this was, I think, God's providence because when we started this Bible, it would be another five years before YouTube came into existence, and it would be another five years before you could use a QR code to connect a video. And fortunately, uh, my right-hand guy who helps with radio and sound said, Gene... From the beginning, he said, you need to record this with multiple cameras with PowerPoint slides, so we just put it on the web, which we did. Five years into this, along comes QR technology with your smartphone. 
Now, what that means is, and by the way, they called me eight months before it came off the press. It was in Denmark, all laid out minus the QR codes. And they said, Gene, we want to take all your video, over 300 hours of video, break it into 1,500 presentations, so you have 250 hours of video that go along with the teaching. So how that works with a smartphone, this is an iPhone here, uh, <clears throat> the app that we recommend, by the way, is a Life Essentials QR Reader. You can use any scan with any smartphone, but we like this one because it's designed for this Bible, and it's free. So, Bruce, if I hit the QR scanner, mm -hmm. and you have the passage open here, okay. I'm going to take a picture. There's a picture, the Word of God with an arrow, and if I hit that, it's going to take us now to YouTube. Uh -huh. And ordinarily, this will come up in about two or three seconds. You've got a good connection here. Um, by the way, what I'm doing right now, you can do anywhere in the world with the same amount of time. God. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Scripture. Here's Gene to explain this principle. Now, there are 1,500 of those. Let me do, I'm going to take you to the big screen. You can actually project this with your, you can project it right here. Our basic criteria for discerning God's will must be grounded on God's truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit and recorded in Scripture. Here's Gene to explain this principle. Fortunately, we can study 2 Peter. Fortunately, we can study 1 Peter. Fortunately, we can study Genesis to Revelation. And sometimes I think we, uh, we forget the incredible challenge that these New Testament leaders had because they had no repository of biblical truth like we do. They had the Old Testament, obviously, but they couldn't carry the Old Testament around. I mean, that was safely hidden away, as it were, and protected in the synagogues. Uh, and they didn't have it the whole of the Old Testament like we have today. And obviously they didn't have the New Testament because the New Testament was coming into existence. What I did this morning was to expound on that principle from other ports of Scripture as I did taking you to the Gospel of John. So this is, uh, Bruce, the first multimedia study Bible. Mm -hmm. And what is mind-boggling about this, I'm still trying to get my head around it. I was in Hong Kong teaching house church pastors from mainland China, and there was a, a brother, a Chinese brother from Singapore who was there who had an iPhone, and he also had a copy of this Bible. This was about a year ago when mm -hmm. it first came out. He gathered the house church pastors in a circle in the dining room there where we were in Hong Kong. He said, let me show you something. He did exactly what I did, and in 10 seconds I was teaching in Hong Kong. Wow. I mean, just think about that in terms of the capability and possibility. So, so you have 1,500 principles, there's 1,500 QR same. codes, 1,500 videos. 1,500 videos of you of teaching. Teaching. Right. Wow. And the exciting thing is that, uh, like, you could use wow. this in a small group and uh, just plug it into your big screen TV. And I often say the good thing about this, you turn me on, turn me off anytime you want. <laughs> I'm just there to walk alongside and help you. 
like a pastor in India up on the Burmese border, and he's working on a message. And by the way, they all understand English in India, most of them, and I can help him prepare his message. But, you know, the technology, I have to tell you a story about Sam. Sam was nine years old. He was nine a year ago. <clears throat> when we rolled this out at Dallas, the church, I didn't know Sam. He was sitting there, and he came into the main service for some reason. His dad bought a Bible. Took it home, and he was listening real carefully. And when he got home, he said, Dad, can I borrow your iPhone and your Bible? And he goes in his bedroom, and he downloads the first principle from Genesis and watches the video presentation. And his mom stopped by the office, and she said, Gene, Sam has downloaded six of your principles already from Genesis. And I met him, and I said, Sam, when I first talked about QR codes, did you know what I was talking about? And he looked at me, and he said, of course. <laughs> what a dumb question, in other words. See, kids are actually being taught in school now how to use QR technology and iPhones and videos. It's scary, by the way. But the fact of the matter is, uh, there's so many ways in which it can be used. Um, small groups, I hear from people almost every week, just couples that are using it in family devotions. Mm. And uh, so it wasn't something I had planned. I did not plan the QR technology. It's just, I thank God that Dave said, Jane, you gotta, you gotta videotape all this because wow. five years in, we could never have reproduced it. It's just impossible. And another little tidbit, mm -hmm. I'm now reteaching all of these videos. And I'm through First Chronicles, I'm into Second Chronicles. So Lord willing, you pray for me. In five years, I will have updated all the videos you don't change the QR codes or the Bible. You just update. And every Monday night, I take a new set of videos that are now seven years. When I first did them, I was 72. Now I'm 80. In other words, wow. five years, when I'm 85, Lord willing, I will have updated every video. So you can see me in my old age rather than seeing me. <laughs> you know. Anyway, people like to see you as they are, as you yeah, are. Yeah. So I can just pray for courage and strength to sure. be able to do that. Sure. Well, one of the reasons why we, uh, we, we had talked a little bit about him coming up and sharing a little bit more about the, uh, the Life Essentials Bible, and one of the reasons why we thought this would be a great time to do it at the beginning of December is there's a great opportunity to think about some Christmas gifts for people that we know, um, could be relatives, anyone. And uh, so we thought this would be a great time just to unveil this so that we would all be aware of it. But what is really exciting about that, I didn't know this was going to happen, is that we have a, a friend here at Wildwood who really loves this church. And in an extremely generous manner, what he wanted to do is to do something that, as Gene has gone on and, and, and shared this at other churches and sold the Bibles, this has never happened before, but we're going to be able to have you purchase one of these if you buy one today, because this is a one-day deal that's available, at almost 50% off. That's actually less than cost. That's cheaper than Gene can get them from the publisher. So we have those available out in the gathering hall, and if it's something you think we could utilize this, or I, I know someone who would like to have this as a gift, 
then we want you to, to feel free to go out there and purchase them. I know that Gene is going to be available afterwards to autograph any of them that, that are sold, but we're really excited about this opportunity. Well, I'm excited about it, too, and one couple things. Number one is don't tell the bookstore what you're getting these for because <laughs> it's cheaper than they can buy them to sell them. So I'm kidding. But uh, if you're in the bookstore, you'll verify that. Uh, it's an incredible discount. Uh, yeah. Thank God for that. But uh, just one little final story came to me, and that is this university town that uh, a man bought one of these for his son who was at UT. And he was dating a girl who was an unbeliever and studying to be a Mormon. And so he sent him a copy of the Bible as a gift, and they started studying it together and looking at the video. Six weeks later, six weeks, she became a believer. Mm. And that really encouraged me because I feel this technology can help unbelievers yeah. as well as believers to really understand what the Scriptures say. So thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And what we're going to do, yeah, let's give Gene a hand. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then I'm going to just give Gene an opportunity to work his way out to the gathering hall where he'll be out there. And you can look these over. If it's something you think God would have you get involved with or maybe get as a gift for someone else, uh, that's great. But let's pray together. Father, we just really want to thank you for the incredible heritage that is ours. And we know we lose track of this in everyday life. We don't realize that people gave their lives so that we could have the privilege of having the written word of God. And Father, we know that there were for centuries, 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 followers of Jesus who never had the opportunity to hold the revelation of the word of God in their hands. And so may, may we be men and women and young people who understand the privilege it is to have your truth and not only to have it, but to read it, to study it, and to respond to it and to live it out because we want to honor Jesus Christ. And we know it's through our response to the Word of God that we're actually transformed into being more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege that we have to know Him and to have the Word of God available. And we thank you for that great, great privilege, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad that you are here today, and by the way, if you'd like someone to pray with you about an issue that may be burdening you, we want to encourage you to come over here um, by these stairs, right by the foot of the cross, so we have some folks who'll be happy to pray with you. But thank you for being here. You go and have a great week and bundle up later today. It's going to get cold. Thank you.